Good morning again, everyone. This morning, the scripture comes from the book of Habakkuk, chapter 1, starting at verse 2, reading through verse 5. It begins with Habakkuk's complaint. O Lord, how long shall I cry for help and you will not hear? Or cry to you violence and you will not save? Why do you make me see iniquity? And why do you idly look at wrong? Destruction and violence are before me. Strife and contention arise. So the law is paralyzed and justice never goes forth. For the wicked surround the righteous. So justice goes forth perverted. And the Lord's answer, look among the nations and see, wonder and be astounded, for I am doing a work in your days that you would not believe if told. The word of the Lord. Good morning, everyone. You'll have to forgive my voice. Um, I spent the last 18 months worrying about catching COVID. I forgot you can catch colds, um, which I did. And then, to top it off, we started back to school this last week, and I've been yelling at errant teenagers all week. So um, I'm a little rough today. So uh, there's a chance the voice could give out. And I know for some of you, that would be your best day, is if the preacher's voice gave out. Uh, and, you know, that means this is over quickly. There's no Sunday school. I mean, you know, wow, you just got your day back. But we'll see. We shall see. Um, <clears throat> get my timer going, speaking of. It's better for all of us if I do. Let me pray. Father, um, I come before you and we ask that you would take this time. uh, That the outcome of this time would be ultimately your glory. That our lives, our thoughts, our words, our actions would bring you glory. May your word, your truth permeate the very fibers of who we are. Father, cause your Holy Spirit to reach deep into us, to to slide through the cracks and the fissures of our hardness and make us know you more and love you more and trust you more. I pray this in your son's name. Amen. Well, have you ever looked around the world around you and thought, man, this is screwed up. Like, this is bad. This is really, really bad. You look around and you think, how, how did we get here? How did we arrive at this place? What's even more interesting is if you look at the church, and when I say the church, I mean capital T, capital C, the church. 
You know, and of course, we forget there are churches outside of America. But let's just start with America. And maybe you think the same thing. You go, Lord, what happened? Look at us. This is a mess. Well, if you've ever thought that, you're not alone. You're actually in very good company, because that's where we start today with Habakkuk. Habakkuk was a prophet uh, in the pre-exilic period, so 600-ish B.C. We're not really entirely sure, but we know it's before um, Israel gets taken into exile. And uh, he's watching, and when he's looking out, you heard Earl just read, he's looking out, and what he sees is disgusting. What he sees is a mess, and he's none too happy about it. And because he's a godly man, he's been praying about it. And have you ever been in a place where you feel like God owes you something because you've been praying so long? You feel like, okay, Lord, let's be honest. Like, you kind of owe me one here. If you're there also, you're in good company because you're with Habakkuk or think of like Elijah. Remember Elijah in the cave? God says, what are you doing here? And he goes, oh, I'm the only one serving you. God says, actually, I've got thousands more, but anyhow. Habakkuk says, as we just heard, how long, O Lord, have I called for help and you don't hear? I cry out to you, violence, yet you do not save. Catch the tone here. Why do you make me see disaster? Isn't that great? I love the little rhetorical strategy. Why do you make me see disaster? You know, it's personal now. You did this to me. Why do you make me see disaster and make me look at uh, destitution? Yes, devastation and violence are before me. Strife exists. Contention arises. The law is ignored. Justice is never upheld. The wicked surround the righteous. Therefore, justice comes out confused. He's not alone in thinking this. There are other places. Can you think of other places? David in the Psalms was often saying, God, what's going on? Why aren't you dealing with this? Why have you done this? Why are you doing this to me? Jeremiah, one of the, I guess this is a minor prophet, a big old prophet, I like to call them. Jeremiah, famous Jeremiah 12, why do the wicked prosper? And And even sometimes there's this reverberation of Job, our oldest text in the Bible. God, this doesn't make sense. And all of that betrays something about the way we think. And it betrays that we're sure we have this figured out, doesn't it? I know how this ought to work. See, the assumption here is, God, there's a problem, and it needs solving, and you're not doing it. And if I can see it, that means you've fallen down on your job. Habakkuk's statement is, you don't hear, you don't save. Now, who's he talking about here? He's actually talking about Israel. At this point, the northern kingdom's a mess. It's gone. Judah's still alive, and, and, but declining. The southern kingdom. And, and he's watching, and what he's seeing is he's seeing that, that these people who are supposed to be the people of God are now becoming split and divided, and we've got the ones who are actually trying to follow Yahweh, and then we've got the rest, and increasingly it looks like the bad ones are outnumbering the good ones. And he says, God, th- these are your people. This is your people. What are, why are you letting this go? 
Why? God's response is so great. You've got to be careful, by the way. When you challenge God and you say, I want an answer, typically when he answers, stop and think about the times he answers. Do the people get the answers they were expecting? Not usually. Certainly not the answers they probably wanted most of the time. God says, look among the nations. Watch. Be horrified. Be frightened, speechless. For I'm accomplishing a work in your days. You would not believe it even if you were told. Now, i got to be honest, not what I want to hear. I don't like it when God says, be frightened. How about you? That's not what I want to hear from God. Be horrified. Mm, No thanks. I was looking for be blessed, be comforted. Um, what not horrified's not on the list, Lord. Let's go back. Let's try that one again. We're just improving. Let's see. Let's try. I like. Let's go a different route. God says, "Be horrified. I'm doing something, and you wouldn't believe it if you were told." Now the gravity of that is amazing, isn't it? Because right off the bat, a couple of things happen. One, he says, you're not going to like what comes next, Habakkuk. And number two, you're not going to like it because you don't understand what's going on. You see, his assumption was, I see, I see, I get it. I'm looking at, at the nation, I'm looking at the people of God, and it's not how it should be. And I know how it should be. And I'm sure in his mind, Lord, why don't you hear? Why don't you do something? I'm sure he had a very specific thing he wanted to have happen. Right? If he was godly and compassionate, he probably wanted there to be revival in all the, the, uh, the people of Israel who are not following God. If he was like me, he was like, God, just turn them all into armadillos and let the righteous take over. But whatever the case, I'm sure he had in mind what he wanted God to do. And it didn't start with be horrified. And God says, oh yeah, I'm doing something, Habakkuk. I do hear. I am acting. I'm just not going to act the way you think I should. And God's funny like that. Job tried that one. How'd it work out for Job? Did he get his answer? He says, verse 6, Behold, I'm raising up the Chaldeans, that grim and impetuous people who march throughout the earth to take possession of dwelling places that are not theirs. They are terrifying and feared. And then he goes on verse after verse, and God, it really, he's kind of rubbing it in. He kind of goes through a catalog of the Chaldeans, and he talks about how horrible they are. And he says, I'm going to bring the Chaldeans to your house. I'm bringing the Chaldeans to Israel. Don't worry, I'm going to judge the wicked. I'm just not going to judge them the way you wanted me to because I'm going to take somebody even worse. I'm going to take some completely godless, horrible savages to come and deal with my children who are not doing what they're supposed to do. And he goes on and on describing the horrors of the Chaldeans. He says, this is my solution. Verse 12, Habakkuk, sort of putting his place a little, a little, backs up a bit, and he says, 
just okay, okay, okay. Are you not from time everlasting, Lord, my God, my Holy One? Okay, sorry, sir. We will not die. Uh, You, Lord, have appointed them to deliver judgment. Okay, so you're going to use the Chaldeans to judge us. Okay, 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 sure, sure. And you, O rock, have destined them to punish. Okay, all right, I, I see what you're doing there. But he can't let it go. He says, but your eyes are too pure to look at evil. You cannot look at harm favorably. Why do you look favorably at those who deal treacherously? Why are you silent when the wicked swallow up those more righteous than they? See, once again, it's as if he just, he kind of, he almost got there and then he bailed at the last second, didn't he? Okay, okay, I get it, I get it. I see what you're doing. You're going to use really bad people to punish less bad people. I suppose there's a logic there. And then he, I love how he tries to out-logic God here. He says, but if you're good, you can't possibly, in goodness, use bad people to... Oh, Lord, it doesn't work. I think you're going to have to try again on this plan. You can't... Pot, I mean, look at it. You cannot. You're not allowed, he says, to do this. Have you ever been in that situation where you find yourself telling God what he can and cannot do? Again, unwise. He's, he's funny in that he does what he wants. Isaiah 40, which we might look at at the end if we have time, where it says, and whose counsel does he take? Oh yeah, nobody's. He takes his own counsel. Habakkuk says, I, it's, it's, it's still not working out for me, Lord. It's still not working out for me. So God throws him a bone. And he says, <clears throat> the, you know, the the, the the Chaldeans are horrible, horrible, horrible people. They're awful. Describes them. He says, these are the ones that... And he, 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 the description is of fish, of fishermen, catching nets of fish, hooking fish. And that's because, if you go look at some of the art, I think it's in the British Museum, you can see that they actually used to take hooks and, and put them through the lips of their captives. They had long chains with lots of hooks on them, and when I went fishing, we called him a stringer. We went outside the boat, you know, when you catch your fish. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Okay, all right. And and the, this was a, this was on dry land, and this is how they would march people back, their captives, lots of people hooked together, quite literally. It's terrible, isn't it? It's terrible, and, and these are the kind of people that God's going to use to accomplish His purpose. And we don't want to think that God does that, do we? We don't want that to be the case. But he gets to the end and he says, verse chapter 2, verse 1, he says, after seeing all these terrible things, I'll stand guard. I'll stand at my guard post and station myself in the watchtower. I'll keep watch to see what God will say to me and how I may reply when I'm reprimanded. He's beginning to realize that this is sort of a, a, a dialogue and he's having to answer. Then the Lord answered me and said, write down the vision, inscribe it clearly on the tablet so that one who reads it may run. A lot of debate about what this means, one who reads it may run. Some think that, some think that, that ones who read it may run are going to read it and go, oh no, ah, and go running. Some say that those who read it may run, meaning they're going to read it and go and tell. They're going to spread the word. 
Here's God's word. Here's what he said. Let's clean up our act. And so others say it just means this is showing you how you should run. Like run the race. This will, this will enlighten you on what it means to run at this time. I don't know which one it is. And there's parts of all three that I like. But he says, bottom line, when you read this, there will be a response. It's not a passive, idle response, is it? He says, write this down, Habakkuk. Write it down. For the vision is yet for the appropriate time, appointed time. It hurries toward the goal and it will not fail. Though it delays, wait for it. For it will certainly come. It will not delay long. Did you notice the juxtaposition? It hurries and it delays. God's funny with time, isn't he? You'd almost think he wasn't bound by it. I'm so tuned into time. I'm one of those people that if I forget to wear my watch, I might as well just go home and start the day over. I've been wearing a watch since I was in elementary school, and I mean, if I took this off, the whiteness would be blinding. Like, the reflection would, ah, eye protection. It's never seen the sun since about 1978. I'm so tuned into time. I'm so aware of time. I'm driven by time. And it's funny because God's not, is he? God's outside of time. He knows the history of things to come. So he looks and he says, it's coming, it's, it's, it's hurrying towards you, but it also at the same time may feel to you like it's delaying. We've got to get tuned into God's timeline a little bit, don't we? He says, write this down, and here it comes. Habakkuk 2.4, often called the John 3.16 of the Old Testament. Behold, as for the impudent one, his soul is not right within him, but the righteous one will live by faith. It's quoted three times in the New Testament. So it's pretty important, and each time a different piece is emphasized. And the idea is contrasting. In, in In the New American Standard, it says impudence. We're going to talk about that word in a second. Yours may say pride. But contrasting human pride with faith. Now, this word that is in the Hebrew, I had a really shocking moment when I was studying, because I don't, I don't, I don't do Hebrew really. I can sort of stumble my way through some Greek, um, but Hebrew, I'm always just like getting out seven books and like a magnifying glass and a spotlight and trail mix and trying to like work my way through it. So I had out my Greek lexicon and I'm looking, and the word, the root word here, one of the variations has to do with actual physical swelling. Like an inflamed, irritated um, piece of tissue that's engorged and like infected. And I won't tell you where on the body. It's very specific. It's one of the most, easily the most shocking thing I've ever read in the Hebrew lexicon. And that's the kind of term that's being used here in terms of what we are when we don't have the right view of ourselves. Think of yourself as the swollen one. Those who are swollen. What do you have to be proud about? I don't mean like I'm, you know, I'm proud of my kids or I'm, you know, proud of my team for winning. But I mean, do I really have the right to feel like, like I, I like, is, is there justifiable arrogant pride ever? Especially if you're standing in the presence of God. 
And when I'm talking about pride here, where did this start? This started with, God, I can see what's going on and you're doing nothing. He says, Habakkuk, you know what? Those who are swollen, who are proud, who are inflamed with themselves and their assurance that they know, that they're in control, that they have the power, their souls aren't right. But the righteous one lives by faith. That's, that's it. The righteous live by faith. Is that, is that news to anybody? Is that shocking? Does that seem unfamiliar with the bulk of Scripture, that statement? Not at all, right? If you know the Bible, that sounds right in line. That's why this gets called sort of the John 3.16 of the Old Testament. It's sort of an encapitalization. It's not what you can do. It's your faith. For by grace we've been saved through faith, and that not of ourselves. This is the through line of Scripture. God says, this is what you need to be worrying about. Don't be one of the people that I'm going to judge. Because here's the thing. He says, I'm going to judge the Chaldeans too. Don't worry. I haven't forgotten about them. Theirs is coming, and it's going to be bad. Really, really bad. He starts listing the woes to the Chaldeans. It's really, it's really funny. He starts going through, let's see. Verse 6, woe to him who increases what is not his. Uh, verse 9, woe to him who makes evil profit for his household. Uh, verse 12, woe to him who builds a city with bloodshed and founds a town with violence. This term violence, by the way, is used repeatedly in Habakkuk. And it's a term that's really broad. It doesn't have to mean physical violence. It can mean all sorts of sort of um, treacherous behaviors. He just goes on and on and on until finally he, he basically equates it all to having an idol. Which makes sense, right? Because if I'm not serving God, I am serving some idol. Sometimes that idol looks shockingly like me. But I'm serving something other than the living God. And he says, don't worry. Here's the thing. Yes, I'm going to use some horrible people to judge my children who are acting horribly. And yes, you're right. These people are ostensibly far worse than you. But don't worry, their day's coming too. I'm working a really long game here, Habakkuk. What you can see is about this big. But I can see the whole story. And I've got a plan, and it is being executed precisely how I intend it to. And that's why faith is the linchpin here. Because my problem is I look and I say, this can't possibly be what God wants. Whatever it is I'm looking at, I say, this can't be it. And that's like saying God's gone, oh, shoot. Did I? Oh, man. Gabriel, Michael, we got to talk. I'm, oh, I must have come back late from lunch. Did you see what's going on in, the, uh, in evangelicalism? Holy moly. We got work to do, guys. Nothing transpires that he is not sovereignly over. Do you understand that? Now, we live in a world that is cursed with sin. So that's not to say everything makes him delighted. But none of it is out of his control. And it is all working towards his ultimate goals, isn't it? So when I sit down and I go, how can this be? 
the answer is 100% the same every time. Because God apparently wants it to be. And that's tough, isn't it? That's a tough one to reconcile yourself to. Because, like Habakkuk, I go, but... Now that means I don't have God figured out. Doggone it. I really thought I had this nailed down. And really, honestly, that's our number one problem. Is that we try to reduce God to think like us. You stop. Aren't you glad he doesn't? I can just assure you how horrible it would be to serve a God who thinks like Phil Bryan. You take time today to thank him for that alone. Right? Thank you, Lord, for not being like Phil. And he compares all this. He gives the woes. He gives the comparison to, to worshiping an idol. And he finishes, he finishes at the end of chapter 2 with verse 20, but the Lord. But the Lord. I love it when that turns. But the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth be silent. Reminds me of Psalm 46.10. Be still and know that I'm God. Cease striving and know that I'm God. Let everything be silent next to the resounding reality of a sovereign God who is exactly where he's supposed to be doing exactly what he sees fit. And he's good. Though he uses imperfect tools. Be glad for that too. Look in the mirror. So Habakkuk changes gears now. And this is where people begin to speculate. We really know next to nothing about Habakkuk. There's, just, there's lots of theories out there, but nobody knows. But people think he might be a, a Levite because he breaks into song. He writes a psalm here. And um, it's this beautiful ending and I'm not going to go through the whole thing, but it's this beautiful cap. If, if, if chapter 1 is sort of the problem, the call and response, God, why won't you? And, and, and then he goes into, God says, I'm going to do something you won't believe. And in this horror of the Chaldeans, and then we get into the end of that, and Habakkuk says, okay, I kind of get it, but I still don't get it. And God says, don't worry, I'm also going to judge them. And then he goes, okay, God's in control. And then he gets into chapter 3. And he starts to talk about the beauty of what God has done. Lord, verse 2, I've heard the report about you and I was afraid. Lord, revive your work in the midst of the years. In the midst of the years, make it known. And in anger, remember mercy. And then he goes on for verse after verse to record God's greatness. And then he goes into how God has provided for Israel before. And that's a that's a theme you see throughout the Old Testament is when things get gloomy, what they do is very often the leaders will look at the people and say, hey, 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 don't you remember how God did X? Don't you remember how he brought us out of this? Don't you remember how he was faithful at this time? Don't you remember? Do you have those stories too? When it gets dark, are you able to stop and go, wait, 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 wait. God's been faithful. Can you articulate him? Can you say him? something I'm working on. I, I'm an admitted Eeyore. And I have to really work to remember the good stuff. But I'm trying. I'm trying this gratitude thing. Feels weird. But I'm working on it. But you see it here. Habakkuk says, remember 
who God is, and then remember what he has specifically done for us. Look at verse 13. You went forth for the salvation of your people, for the salvation of your anointed. You smashed the head of the house of evil to uncover him from front foot to neck. You pierced with his own arrows his head to the head of his leaders. They stormed in to scatter us. Their arrogance was like those who devour the oppressed in secret. You trampled on the sea with your horses on the foam of many waters. It's funny, this almost parallels the description of the Chaldeans earlier. When God is telling Habakkuk how bad the Chaldeans are, Habakkuk uses almost similar imagery to talk about, nah, the really bad one is God when he shows up. (laughs) You think the Chaldeans come thundering on their horses? Why do you see God? Verse 16. I heard... And my inner parts trembled. At the sound, my lips quivered. Decay enters my bones, and in my place, I, I tremble. Because I must wait quietly for the day of distress, for the people to arise who will attack us. The ending is bittersweet, because Habakkuk has come to accept judgment's coming, and it won't be nice. He says, I'm trembling. I'm trembling. Even if the fig tree does not blossom and there's no fruit on the vines, if the yield of the olive fails and the fields produce no food, even if the flock disappears from the fold and there are no cattle in the stalls, yet I will triumph in the Lord. I will rejoice in the God of my salvation. The Lord God is my strength and he has made my feet like deer's feet and has made me walk in high places. He says, I'm trembling, I'm I'm decaying because I'm now just waiting for the shoe to drop. But at the same time, I'm going to take my focus off of that. I'm going to put it back on the source of my actual strength and salvation. Who is the Lord? That's where it belongs. So what's the application for us here? 2021, Trinity Fellowship Church, Richardson, Texas. You always have to be careful because I don't personally believe that the church is the new Israel, so you can't just sort of one-to-one apply everything. But I think the principles are certainly good. As we look at our world, are we distressed? As we look at the church, do we feel like there's good guys and bad guys? Let's see if I can get this. Let's see. It's all you crazy, like, left-wing nuts. You liberals with your, your, your social justice and your Black Lives Matter. You have no moral fiber. You have no awareness of sin. You don't care about right and wrong. You just want to love everybody. How do you even call yourself Christians? It's all you crazy right-wing evangelical wing nuts over there. All you care about is deciding who you get to call bad and who you get to cut out of the equation. You know, they're just Pharisees. Don't you know Jesus loves everybody? What's your problem? How do you call yourselves Christians? And then for fun, let's throw in some masks and some vaccines and some LGBTQ. Why not? Let's make some church gumbo, everybody. Mm -mm Mm-mm-mm. And what I love is both sides are looking and going, Lord, what are you going to do about them?
And it just might be that God's going, actually, I'm going to bring something that's going to knock both your socks off. I was reading commentaries, and a lot of them are from years and years and years ago. And uh, <clears throat> I say that, like, from when I was young. That wasn't that long ago. But you, you read commentators talking about, like, well, just imagine if the communists came and took over America. What would you think then if that was God's plan? I don't think we're as scared about communists. No, I think there's some fear of socialists. I've been to some socialist countries. They don't seem like the kind who are like, let's invade. <laughs> They're just a little more low-key than that. But anyhow... You know, I, I don't know who it is. And there's no guarantee, by the way, no guarantee. There's no indication that the, that the United States of America has anything to do with end-time events. You know that, right? Like, no scholar worth their salt sits there and says, well, this is how America is part of the eschatological future. So, as John Walvard once said, that either means we've been blown off the map by nuclear weapons or we're so insignificant on the world scene economically and politically, it doesn't matter. Okay. But I wonder if it's not going to be something more subtle, like the rest of the world watching the church divide and subdivide and bicker says, I don't know about y'all, but I've had enough of these clowns. And the government pulls 501c3 nonprofit status. Suddenly our little religious tax shelter and, and uh, charitable donations disappear and a lot of churches go out of it doesn't matter if you're liberal or conservative. They're all gone. Or maybe there'll be a state church one day. And we just get told what we're allowed to believe. It's happened in lots of countries. I don't know. But you know what I can tell you? It's all going to happen according to God's plan. I'm not flippant. I'm not trying to ignore problems. But at some point I have to stop and say, what's my faith in? Is my faith in my side being the dominant side in a debate? Is my faith that certain legislation gets passed because then I'll know this is God's country? Is my faith in the fact that they'll teach this and not this in school because then I'll know that our kids are going to be okay? You know how you can tell if you put too much faith in something? By how much it distresses you when it doesn't go your way. When your person doesn't get elected, when your bill doesn't pass, when you're not the one who's in control, if that really distresses you, you put too much faith in it. Because at the end of the day, God's either sovereign or he's not. And we'd like to think we solve that once and for all, but we do, we do not. We keep coming back to it. And you have to remember that God is every bit as sovereign when the Chaldeans are burning down the houses as he ends when we're blessing Israel with the Davidic kingdom. God is no less sovereign when the wheels come off from our point of view because he's working a much longer plan than we could ever imagine. I can't even tell you the plan. He says you wouldn't believe it if you heard it. Reminds me of when Pilate and Jesus are talking. You remember? It's a great bit. John 19. 
Pilate gets a little irritated because Jesus isn't answering his questions the way he wants to. He goes, don't you know that I have the authority over you to release you or crucify you? I have the power over you. Again, if I was God, I would have just been like, watch this. Like Darth Vader death grip. You know, I mean, Jesus goes, actually, Pilate, you've only got authority if it was given to you. That's it. You only have authority if you've been given it. Remember that word, swollen? Impudent, proud? Hey, Pilate, you don't know anything. You don't know how this works, buddy. Close with Isaiah 40, because I think it dovetails nicely. Another one of the big old prophets. Starting verse 12, Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand, measured the heavens with a span, calculated the dust of the earth with a measure and weighed the mountains in a balance and the hills in a pair of scales. Who has directed the spirit of the Lord or as his counselor informed him? With whom did he consult and who gave him understanding? And who taught him in the path of justice and taught him knowledge and informed him the way of understanding? Behold, the nations are like a drop from a bucket and are regarded as a speck of dust on the scales. Behold, he lifts up the islands like fine dust. Even Lebanon's not enough to burn, nor its animals enough for a burnt offering. All the nations are like nothing before him. They're regarded by him as less than nothing and meaningless. To whom then will you liken God? Or what likeness will you compare with him? As for the idol, craftsman casts it, a goldsmith plates it with gold, and a silversmith fashions chains of silver. He who's too impoverished for such an offering selects a tree that does not rot. He seeks out for himself a skillful craftsman to prepare an idol that will not totter. Do you not know? Have you not heard? Has it not been declared to you from the beginning? Have you not understood from the foundations of the earth? It is he who sits above the circle of the earth, and its inhabitants are like grasshoppers who stretches out the heavens like a curtain and spreads them out like a tent to live in. It is he who reduces rulers to nothing, who makes the judges of the earth meaningless. Scarcely have they been planted. Scarcely have they been sown. Scarcely has their stock taken root in the earth. But he merely blows on them and they wither. And the storm carries them away like stubble. To whom then will you compare me that I would be his equal, says the Holy One. Raise your eyes on high and see who has created these stars. The one who brings out their multitude by number, he calls them all by name because of the greatness of his might and the strength of his power. Not one of them is missing. The righteous will live by faith in him. Let's pray. Father, forgive us for losing the plot sometimes. And yet, thank you for being so patient with your children who lose the plot so much. Thank you for answering us when we ask questions that we should already know the answer to. You're a good teacher and a good father. Thank you so much for being sovereignly in control. And Father, like Habakkuk, I I tremble. I tremble because I know things will get worse before they get better, typically. And I know the overall trajectory of this world is not... Ultimately, it results in new heaven, new earth, but... In the meantime, we're, we're probably headed in a downward spiral in some ways. Father, I pray that we would never lose sight of you. And we will remember that we are here to glorify you. 
that you called a people, you blessed them to be a blessing, that we're here to share the good news of Jesus Christ to the world. Help us to do that. Help us to see that focus in what we do and not be distracted by hard times, by difficulties, by perceived persecution and opposition, but to focus on the essentials, who you are and what you've done. We commit ourselves to you. We offer you praise and thanks and pray all this in the name of Jesus. Amen.